Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Okay, well, hopefully you're at Psalm 55 uh, already there. And on the Sunday evenings and Wednesday evenings, I teach with the New King James Version. Sunday mornings, I'm using the English Standard Version these days. They're very similar. Um, But I love the New King James Version heading here. It says, trust in God concerning the treachery of friends. (laughs) It's pretty descriptive, isn't it? Trusting in God during a time where those who at least thought you thought they were your friends, you know, uh, are treacherous toward you. It's one thing to keep from not getting bitter about enemies. And, of course, you can only supernaturally love your enemies the way that Jesus called to. But at least we understand that uh, they're not for us and we need to pray for them and lost people act like they're lost because they're lost. But whenever someone close to us betrays us, particularly when... Uh, you know, we thought we were on the same page with the things of the Lord and the things of uh, what has brought us together. In Israel's case, a country. In the church's case, church leadership and stuff like that. Uh, it can be so hard when you're processing those feelings like, well, it sure looks like an enemy, but they were a friend, you know. And how do you process all that? Were they going to be a friend again? Is this going to work out? All those different things. Um, but it does happen. It happens in families. It happens among friends. It happens among teammates and schoolmates. It happens among coworkers. Sometimes they really were for us once upon a time, but something changed and they turned on us. Other times they were never really for you in the first place. You just thought they were. And particularly if you're a more optimistic person like nature, like I am, sometimes you can't see that coming, you know. Uh, but Psalm 55 is another trouble and trust psalm within the series of eight complaint psalms that are from 52 to 59. So we're getting through it, but uh, every week we're getting another time where David is just really showing us some raw emotion. And according to this ancient inscription, it's another contemplation of David. So it's another one of the uh, psalms of David. David wrote about half the psalms. And it's to the chief musician with the recommendation that it be sung using stringed instruments. If you were in church this morning, I don't know if you noticed, but Eddie was playing his guitar so well that one of the strings broke, you know. <laughs> he had to set it aside for the last song. Uh, reminded me of uh, all the footage of The Who, you know. They'd have strings come off and beat their guitars and stuff like that, you know. But uh, So we're going to read Psalm 55 here. It, it's uh, one of the longer psalms. I've um, shown you the breakdown of psalms and verses uh, and uh, uh Psalms that are 1 to 10 verses, uh, there's 58 of those, so uh, 40% of the Psalms you can be done in 10 verses. Another 40% done by the 20th verse from 11 to 20 verses. And then this one falls within the ones that are 21 to 30 verses, uh, and there's only uh, 9% of the Psalms that are longer than 30 verses, and uh, every once in a while I give you guys a sheet with those on there since we're studying through the Psalms. Just another thing to look at when you go through, but let's read this one. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan noisily because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they bring down trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is severely pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. 
Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. So I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. Selah. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Verse 9. Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues. For I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls. Iniquity and trouble are also in the midst of it. Destruction is in its midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from its streets. For it's not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him. Verse 13. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. Let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell or Sheol, the place of the dead before uh, the resurrection of Christ. All the dead were there, and then the believing dead are now in heaven. Uh, so it was, uh, the, strictly speaking, when we speak of hell, we're usually thinking of what the Bible describes as later, the lake of fire. Old Testament Sheol was where all dead spirits went. There was a separation of the righteous already being comforted, the dead already being tormented to some extent, but we're told there's going to be a future time where the occupants of that place will have to uh, uh, appear at the great white throne judgment. All believers, that won't be the case. Uh, and when Christ rose from the dead, it appears uh, during that silent Saturday, he actually took all those who had believed in the past, and because the penalty had now been paid on the cross, they went to heaven. And now, when believers die, to be absent from the bodies is to be present with the Lord. So if this refers to Sheol, and it does, then uh, he's talking more about dying and being... Uh, to let them go down alive into the place of the dead. For wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud, and he will hear my voice. Great verse there. I actually memorized that one a long time ago. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many against me. God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from of old, Selah. Because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God. He has put forth his hands against those who were at peace with him. He has broken his covenant. Talking about a person again. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. So this is that part of hell that represents, you know, eternal punishment for those that don't know the Lord. Um, Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. So a little bit longer, but pretty cool. And I think we're dividing this into three sections. And in the first eight verses, we see, uh, and you can fill in the blanks if you like along the way. Uh, I like to provide them uh, for ease of uh, referencing and getting the study in. But David is having a hard time processing what is happening to him. So the fill in the blank is the word processing. Now, we sometimes talk about people who are going through stages of grief, right? What are some of the stages of grief? Denial. Denial is one of them, yeah. Anger. Anger, shock, 
they talk about bargaining, right? You know, bargaining with God, and you know, uh, Lord, uh, if you heal them, then you know, if you bring them back real quick, then all those different things. Anyway, they talk about five or six of those, and um, uh, shock, denial, anger, etc. But David seems to be going through a lot of these things right here. There's a component of shock. There's a component of anger. There's a part, uh, component of um, uh, just uh, bewilderment uh, and, and confusion. And uh, verses 1 through 8 are some of the rawest expressions of emotion in the Bible. Um, so he, 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 he starts out by crying to God, crying out to God. So we've seen things like verses 1 and then the first part of verse 2 where he uh, gives some great action verbs, right? God, give ear to my prayer. God, uh, it seems like it's a cloudy day, and I, I know the sun's up there even when I can't see it, but it sure seems cloudy. Lord, don't hide yourself from my supplication. Break through these clouds that I feel are between you and me, and attend to me and hear me. So four different action verbs there. But um, then in the second part of verse 2 and following, we see David say some absolutely pitiful things to hear a grown-up say, you know. Sometimes we think about the mood swings a child has, but there's some pitiful stuff in verses 2 and following. I am restless in my complaint. You ever been restless in your complaint? Kind of agitated, and it appears to others that because you are troubled about something, you're just kind of restless and agitated. Uh, David could relate. We, we oftentimes connect that also with sleeplessness, you know, and, and, and so anxious to have something beyond us. Sometimes uh, finances will put us in that situation. Sometimes unresolved conflict with a family member, a friend, a, a co-worker, you know, etc. There's a lot of hard things you face in life. But then look what he says. And I moan noisily because of the voice of my enemy. Because of the oppression of the wicked, I mean, golly, uh, you know, uh, at the funeral service today, uh, there was a little bit of moaning, you know, as uh, our sister was uh, missing her sister, you know, and just kind of uh, pitiful, uh, you know, but uh, that's just where she was at, you know, and we were all praying for her during that moment and stuff. David said he's so agitated and restless that, that there's moans coming out of him. And this is the great king of Israel here, the great warrior of God, the psalm writer, the one who was a man after God's own heart. And I think about the times that we can relate. Oh, you know, I remember one time, uh, I, don't, I forget exactly what the situation was, but I had no idea what to do. And, you know, I'm talking to Elizabeth, and we have to make a decision about something, you know, and the kids are running around breaking stuff and stuff like that, and I'm just like, I don't know what to do, you know. Uh, sometimes you're there. Sometimes you like that, you know, and you pray to the Lord, and he gives you wisdom, or you have to make a decision, and you just go ahead and do it. But, but look what he says, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me. Well, a restless person is often unsettled, and they're often agitated, and what are some other ways you can describe things a restless person experiences? Anybody have any other, other things that you see go along with this kind of restless agitation that David talks about? I kind of gave one of them, but you might want to repeat it. What do you have trouble doing at night? Sleeping. Sleeping, yeah. You know, uh, others have trouble sleeping. They pace about. Um, and I kind of think about, uh, you know, we talk about things that are a spectrum, right, you know? Uh, and um, I think sometimes 
this kind of restlessness and agitation can be a spectrum too. But if we put things on a spectrum here between being a little tore up about something to being just despondent about something, I certainly think moaning easily, moaning, <laughs> moaning uh, about the problem, uh, you know, crying out. Uh, is there another way your translation says that? Where I'm thinking of what it says there in verse two at the end. It says, "I moan noisily." Anybody read a different way at the end there? Distraught. Distraught. That's a good one, isn't it? Distraught. I think if we had restlessness and agitation as a spectrum, being distraught, moaning noisily as the Hebrew is translated here, uh, boy, that'd be at the upper end of the spectrum, wouldn't it? Um, For David, it was pretty bad, obviously. Look at verse 4. He says, My heart is severely pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. What's David saying there? What's happening? He actually says he's having chest pains, fill in the blank, chest pains because of his stress. And when you hear about chest pains, what are the kind of things you think about? Somebody might be having a heart attack. They they, uh, might be having a severe problem, you know. Uh, Chest pain can kill you, can't it? Uh, David was concerned it might kill him. He says, the terrors of death have fallen upon me. You know, if you ever watch Sanford and Son, what did he say? It's the big one, Elizabeth. I'm coming to join you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we know he was mostly faking to impress his friends and stuff like that. But that's kind of what I think of when I think of David here. Uh, I just, I can't go on. I got I to gotta get, I, I, my situation isn't changing, and, and he's just despondent. And then in verse 5, he says, Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. So notice what's happening here. The situation and the stress because of the situation, we're going to find out what it is a few verses later. It's a conflict that's involved a, um, a dear one-time friend. Uh, it is leading to physical health troubles for David. And uh, some of you can relate to being there. Um, I remember back in 2003 and four. Uh, I was under severe stress as I was navigating some church conflict at my previous church, and it actually involved uh, three physical threats on my life. Uh, that's hard for a pastor to uh, you know, experience. And during that time, it lasted months, I actually had an eye tick. You ever had one of those? You know, you look at it and you try to smile, but your eyes ticking and stuff like that. And Elizabeth was real concerned about me, so she had me go get a physical and talk to the doctor. And, uh, you know, so is there something, I described the situation and everything to the doctor, and I said, you know, is there, is there something medically wrong with me? He said, he said, no, you've got situational stress. <laughs> i never forget him saying that, you know. And uh, so, uh, and, and sure enough, in the, it wound up going away. But, you know, the, um, uh, the, the stress I was under caused that physical thing to happen. And for others, you've seen it cause heart attacks. You've seen it cause stress and them just die. Um, I resonate with David speaking of fear and trembling here. Maybe you can too in some situation you faced in your life, or I hope you're not going through it now. But, uh, but look at verses 6 and 7. He says, So I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. What's David saying there? He'd love to just escape it all, wouldn't he? That's, that's my fill in the blank. That's good, Chris. You got it. That he just wishes he could escape these rough circumstances. 
And we definitely know people, and the only way they know how to face a hard thing is to run away. Uh, we've seen in our ministry husbands run away. We've seen children run away. We've seen parents run away. You know, We've seen church members run away. We've seen a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I'm not going to stay and deal with that conflict. I'm going to escape. And David, in the midst of this, he says, man, it would just be great if I could get out of here. If I was a bird, I'd fly away. <laughs> and uh, what's really interesting is here, usually when these psalmists like David use the word selah, they complete a thought first. And so there's something a little bit unique as I've been studying these psalms. He, instead of the, ordinarily you'd expect, you see a division in your scripture between kind of a new paragraph starting at verse 9? Usually when that's happening, between 8 and 9, the Selah is after verse 8, but here it's after verse 7. So Selah, we believe, means something like pause for a minute, think about this, and then we're going to start the next thought, right? But there's twice in this psalm where Selah actually is used at the end of a thought to just emphasize the kind of situation going on. Do you see that here? Uh, he says, and he, he, here he takes a long pause and then once again emphasizes what he just said. Verse 8, I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. So if this was indeed to be sung, uh, you come up to the completion of the first verse, you stop for a moment, you're getting everybody to pause and quiet down, and then you say one more statement that reflects you just want to escape all this. And that's what happens here. Very interesting uh, device there if you've been paying attention to the, the craft of how the Psalms lay out. So David makes clear that if he had somewhere to go, he would, but he doesn't. So what do you need when you got nowhere to go? You need God's help. And of course, that's always true, but sometimes we understand it better than others. And right now, some can relate to these feelings because of family problems, financial stress, uh, you know, church conflict sometimes, et cetera. The tabernacle, by God's grace, is free of church conflict right now, I believe, you know. Uh, but uh, as a pastor who's been, as and church member too, who's been there when it happened, it's not pleasant when it comes, isn't it? Is it, you know, because, you know, it's one thing to have it at home and at work and at school and other things, but man, you just want church to be a little taste of heaven. You want it to be there and you, you're able to, uh, you know, get with those brothers and sisters and give you strength to face the next things and stuff. Um, but uh, David, at this point, had nowhere else to go. Now, in other Psalms, we've seen David, something remarkable about David. He called God his refuge. Uh, and it's really not fair to do that. Refuge was always a place you go to, not a person, right? Uh, so David says, God, I ain't got nowhere to go. You're going to have to be my refuge right now while I still am in this crummy place. <laughs> and, and he has taught us, and I think you can show... Uh, I think you can find it first in Ruth where uh, Boaz, David's great-granddaddy, uh, said to Ruth, you know, you've come to God, you've come to God's wings for refuge, and I appreciate that, you know. 
And so I think David learned it from his grandparents. And if we're older, we want to teach to our children and grandchildren to view God as a refuge, even in the midst of life's tough things. And if you can model that, if you can find that in yourself, then it's a great gift to pass along to your children during stressful, hard times and things like that. So in verses 9 through 11, David asked God to destroy evil works and divide evil tongues. He asked, basically, he's asking for God's help in thwarting evil plans against him. And uh, he says, destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues. And he says, I have seen violence and strife in the city. Now, the more than likely, what city was David talking about? What city, what city was his capital? Jerusalem. Jerusalem, yeah. So more than likely, I think you have an important clue here about what's going on. Now, we don't know... Uh, what exactly the condition, the, the circumstance is for the writing of this like we do other psalms. But I'm going to give you my best guess before we're done because I think it's fun to do. Um, but there's a time of upheaval in Jerusalem. And verse 10 says, Well, day and night they go around it on its walls, these evildoers, those that are trying to destroy what David had built up, those who are trying to uh, you know, just uh, form public opinion around their godless ways. He says iniquity and trouble are also in the midst of it. So we've got a couple clues here that there's violence and strife in the city. And then he immediately goes into day and night they go around on the walls. And so we're picking these clues. We'll get back to it in a minute. So this was a time when wickedness and trouble was paraded in front of the people and David couldn't do anything about it. So that's what we put together with that. Trouble and wickedness, David couldn't do anything about it. Look at verse 11. Destruction is in Jerusalem's midst right now. Oppression and deceit do not depart from its streets. David speaks as one looking at his beloved city from the outside rather than the inside. And he's, uh, he, he's not able to deal with it, which means he's not the king who could call for heads right now in the city. Right? So there's some important clues here. I believe that's exactly what David was facing, but we're not explicitly told. Well, then verses 12 through 15. David's problem was what? It was betrayal by one he had previously trusted. One that he had previously trusted. Look at verse 12. He says, for it's not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. I know what to do with enemies. You fight them. <laughs> you know. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. So with an enemy, you know what you have and expect them to come against you. But it, it's, it's on you if you're not ready for the actions of someone who hates you and has made themselves your enemy. You know, when the teams are playing, uh, two sports teams are playing, you've got to prepare for what they're going to bring, right? Uh, I love the college wrestling. Uh, you know, I watch a lot of it because my son was a, a son's were wrestlers in high school and you got to prepare for everything there's a every move there's a counter move you know and uh, you got to study your opponents to know and so David said if this was just a simple battle of me versus the Philistines I've studied them I know how to fight them you know but something else was going on here and you don't expect uh, a sucker punch from a friend and for David more than a friend so look at verses 13 and 14 again it was you so he says, this was a man, my equal, my companion, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together. We walked to the house of God in the throng. So according to those verses, help me out here. What are some of the words David used to describe his one-time friend? He was a, a, an acquaintance, a guide, so kind of a counselor, a guide's a counselor. 
uh, in this translation that I have, it said his equal. So it's a man that he valued as one of his highest up in the uh, country kind of guys. Um, his companion. Uh, what else did they used to do together? They used to walk over to the tabernacle together, right? Uh, where the and so his fellow worshiper, his fellow worshiper. Now, folks, do you know anything about Taylor Swift? Gary said, that's the last thing I expect to just come out of your mouth, Pastor. <laughs> I don't know who he is, but he saves fast. That's right, Taylor Swift, yeah. So Taylor Swift's that, uh, she started as a country singer, and now, of course, she's an internationally famous pop star, uh, her and Beyonce, and I don't know anything about it, couldn't tell you their songs, really, but um, uh, her and Beyonce are uh, vying for number one on the planet, you know, right now and stuff. So, But what is Taylor Swift famous for doing in her songs? Anybody know? What is a Taylor Swift hit many times about? It's about a guy that at one time she dated, and he'd done her wrong, so that's coming out of the country style, right? Uh, and then he becomes famous in one of her songs. But she's never explicit about who and what, right? She doesn't give a name. She tells it but doesn't name names. So what do those Taylor Swift fans do? They go crazy trying to figure out which guy that she dated in the past the song's about. And this Kelsey fellow from the Kansas City Chiefs, he better marry her uh, and, and never do her wrong uh, because uh, he's, he's fit, fixing to be uh, the next uh, source of one of her hits or something. <laughs> Somebody said when he bumped into that coach, what he told, told the coach was, we got a win or Taylor's going to write a song about me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, it's not the same thing, of course, but what I'm telling you is Bible students, they look at a psalm like Psalm 55, and they try to guess which man this was that David was speaking about. Uh, we know of his conflicts with King Saul. We know about conflicts with his son Absalom. But I believe, and I, I told you I'd give you my best guess, I believe the best candidate for this was his one-time counselor Ahithophel whose son was Eliam, we learned that in 2 Samuel 23, 34, and whose granddaughter was Uriah's wife Bathsheba, 2 Samuel eleven three. So when you connect the dots, Ahithophel was Eliam's dad, he was Bathsheba's granddad, and he was one of David's closest advisors, known throughout Israel for being one of the wisest men there was, and he advised David. And I believe Ahithophel's heart broke when David and Bathsheba happened. And if we connect the dots, I don't think he ever got over it. And when Absalom raised up against David, Ahithophel became Absalom's advisor. And uh, let's just, you know, we've got the time to do it, so let's do it. Let's turn over to 2 Samuel 15. Now, let me be very clear. We're not explicitly told, so if I'm wrong, we're just learning the kind of guy it could have been, somebody very close to David. But this is very fascinating because a lot of people have never made this connection with Bathsheba having a dad and granddad and how close all these things were to the power base that was there in Jerusalem. Um, and so uh, Ahithophel, well, it's hard to say that name, Ahithophel, but let's start in 2 Samuel. I've given you the two passages we're going to look at and just take the time to read and, and see about this connection. And it could have been something like this. So 
you're aware that um, after David's sin with Bathsheba and his repentance and his sincere confession, he was restored. But do you remember what the prophet Nathan told him would be the consequences of his sin? He said several things to him. One of the things he said is the sword will never depart from your house. There's going to be trouble in your house. Um, And uh, God's still going to be with you. You're still a man after God's own heart. But there will be consequences to this sin. And um, it's so interesting because he was also uh, told that there'd be some very public uh, you know, David's sin, you went, you went in private with Bathsheba, but there's going to be some very public display of uh, gross immorality in your kingdom also. And so, very sad to hear, but um, so then you have um, Tamar, David's daughter, uh, tricked and raped by her uh, brother Ammon, right? Amnon. Um, and Absalom then found a way to kill him. So one son uh, tricked and raped his half-sister. Another uh, son uh, then tricked and killed the brother who had done that. And he was banished for a while. And Joab, of all people, Joab, the wild man general of David, actually effected a reconciliation between David and Absalom. But I don't think David went far enough. He had Absalom come back in, but he was still excluding him, you know. And you're either letting them back in or not, you know. You're either going to have it. You're going to either have restoration or you're not, you know. And so uh, Absalom, uh, he, he, you know, kids will act out, won't they? And teenagers will too. I did it, and you know, some of my kids have done it and stuff, trying to get your attention and other stuff. Um, and uh, Absalom's like, you know what? I don't want to just sit here and be excluded from stuff. So his neighbor was Joab, and he had some of his men go burn down some of Joab's field. And Joab said, came over and said, what are you doing? You know, I helped you get back here. He said, why am I back here? <laughs> I was another place. Why am I back here if Dad's not going to see me, you know? And uh, so just all kinds of things happening, family dynamics and stuff like that. But Absalom uh, cooked up in his mind a conspiracy to uh, win the hearts of Israel and he was successful in recruiting people to his side and ultimately he's going to take on his daddy, David. And you know some about that. You've read some about that. Lots of intrigue. But look at verse 10 of 2 Samuel 15. It says, Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. That's where David got his start, Hebron. David's in Jerusalem now. but And with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. Then Absalom sent for who? Ahithophel the Gilnite, David's counselor from his city from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy grew strong. So right after mentioning that he got Ahithophel on his side, it says the conspiracy grew strong. And... Um, For the people with Absalom continually increased in number. Verse 13 says, Now a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men in Israel are with Absalom. And I think David understood 
that one of the ones that was with Absalom was his trusted advisor, Ahithophel, because verse 14, David didn't even try to fight at that point. He said, to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, arise, let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So Ahithophel joins Absalom's cause. David understands that the cause has grown strong. David flees with his people, and then uh, Absalom and his people come into the city. David's on the run. And uh, so let's turn to the next part of our story, uh, chapter 16. So go over to chapter 16, and we'll start there in verse 15, because that's where it picks up this piece with Absalom and what's going on. And uh, it's going to take a a few verses to read this, but we've got the time, so we're going to do it and enjoy it. Verse 15, Meanwhile, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem. And who was with him? Ahithophel. And so it was when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom. Now here's what you need to understand. David had sent Hushai in there to thwart the good counsel of Ahithophel. Um, Hushai, Hushai said to Absalom, long live the king, long live the king. So Absalom said to Hushai, is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did he not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, now this is a lie, but he's, he's a spy. No, but whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel choose, his I will be, and with him I will remain. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son? As I have served in your father's presence, so will I be in your presence. Now let me uh, tell you what's going on here. Absalom is about to ask his most trusted advisors, how should I proceed in this battle? Ahithophel is going to say one thing. Hushai is going to realize if Absalom follows that man's advice, David's a goner. So he advises something different because he's there as a spy from David. Lots of intrigue going on here. I don't know if David's written a psalm yet or not, right? But he knows Ahithophel's not for him, and it could be a completely different scenario. But I'm showing you with you why I think this is the case. Uh, Verse 20, Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give advice as to what we should do. Verse 21, And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father, you're hated by your dad. Then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. And this is almost horrible to have to read, but verse 22, so they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house, and Absalom went into his father's concubines. You know that means sexual intercourse. In the sight of all Israel, up there for all the nation to see, He's taking his father's concubines that is a form of wife. Uh, And uh, wow, wow. So can some of the things we see in Psalm 55, the emotions David's expressing, kind of come home from what's happening there and the kind of wickedness and on the walls and for all to see uh, and how horrendous it is? Verse 23. Now, this, this is, just shows you how important this counselor was to David and Absalom after him. Verse 23 says, The advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. He was E.F. Hutton. Do you guys recognize that reference, or are you too young? <laughs> the old commercials used to say, when E.F. Hutton speaks, he was a financial advisor. When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. <laughs> when Ahithophel spoke, everybody turned the ear, 
and it was as if another chapter of scripture had been written. That's how well regarded he was as a counselor. So was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. Verse, uh, chapter 17. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, now let me choose 12,000 men. You give me 12,000, I'll go right after David tonight. I will arise and pursue him. I will come upon him while he is weary and weak and make him afraid. And all the people who are with him will flee. I'll strike only the king. Then I'll bring back all the people to you. When all return except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. And the saying pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Now, we looked at Psalm 52. We looked at Psalm 53. The fool says in his heart there is no God. We looked at Psalm 54. And Psalm 52 and 54 in the inscriptions told us that they were about David's time on the run. Uh, one was about his time on the run from Saul. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and so David was used to life on the run. He's on the run again now. In this case, uh, you know, it could be the time he was on the run from Absalom. And what Ahithophel says in 2 Samuel 17, if they had done that, David was not yet organized enough after he fled uh, Jerusalem that he would have been able to last. Had they done what Ahithophel had said, it had been curtains for David. And Hushai, the spy, knew that. So look what it says. Uh, then Absalom said, well, we heard from Ahithophel. Now call Hushai the archite and let us hear what he says too. And when Hushai came to Absalom, uh, he spoke to him saying, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner. Shall we do as he says? If not, speak up. And look at verse 7. Hushai, the spy for David, the advice that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. For you know your father is men. They are mighty men. They are enraged in their minds like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. And your father is a man of war and will not camp with the people. Surely by now he's hidden in some pit or in some other place. And it will be when some of them are overthrown at the first, then whoever hears it will say, there is a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. And even he who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt completely. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man. Those who are with him are valiant men. You see what he's saying? David, man, that'd be like, doing what Ahithophel said, far from being wise, that'd be like putting your hand in a snake pit. You know, David's all hidden away like that old snake in yonder. You put your hand in there, he's going to get it. And of course, he's just doing this to uh, change Absalom's mind because he knows what Ahithophel said is the way you win this war. You win it quick. A quick strike, David's dead. Everybody follows you instead. Um, Therefore, verse 11, I advise that all Israel be fully gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba, like the sand that is by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person. So we will come upon him in some place where he may be found, and will fall on him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him, all the men who are with him, there shall not be left so much as one. In other words, get all Israel together, all the forces, and then go fight him, and you'll win this thing. Verse 14 says, So Absalom and all the men of Israel said, Well, the advice of Hushai is better than the advice of Ahithophel. For the Lord has purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. Well, we'll go ahead and take the time to read it since we have it. But um, let's read about the end of oh, Ahithophel. Verse 15, Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, they were also with David, they were also kind of in spy situation. Thus and so Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so I have advised. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend the night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. So he hoped that Absalom would choose his advice, but he also sends people quickly 
to go tell David to run a little further, or because if they follow as Ahithophel's vice, you're dead, right? And so uh, maybe when David got this information and knew about what had happened with the concubines and stuff is when he wrote Psalm 55. That's what I'm suggesting. He also in Psalm 55 prays that this friend will get what's coming to him. And look what happens in, um, uh, let's go ahead and get it for you here. Um, yeah, it's down in verse 23. Uh, so, um, so David and all the people who were with him arose, crossed over the Jordan. By morning light, not one of them was left who had gone over the Jordan. So now you're going to have a pro- pro- protracted battle rather than one big where Absalom gets it done. David is smart enough that if you let him regroup, then he's going to get his king. He's going to get Jerusalem back. But verse 23 says, When Ahithophel saw that his vice was not followed, he saddled a donkey, arose and went home to his city, to his house. He put his household in order and hanged himself and died. And he was buried in his father's tomb. So he knew, it's up for me. <laughs> Absalom will now not be, defeat David. David's coming back. It could be a month. It could be a year. But when he gets back, he's going to execute me. So he just took that out of David's hand and executed himself. Wow. Back in Psalm 55. Okay, boy, that was a lot of work, wasn't it? But now we're back in Psalm 55, and we're coming down the home stretch. Uh, in verse 15, look what David says. Whoever this fair-weather friend is that's now against me, Lord, let death seize them. Let them go down alive into shale, for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. And as we just read, that's what happened to Ahithophel, right? And you do have mixed feelings because, you know, some of these are the consequences of David's sin, you know, now happening. And uh, somewhere in there, Ahithophel changed his mind. Or if it was another friend, they changed their mind. And, you know, there's a proverb that says, one person seems right till you talk to another one. There's a lot of times when we think we're right, maybe we aren't, you know. And so we have to have a lot of grace, a lot of forgiveness in relationships and, and those things. Uh, but uh, there was no going back from what was happening between these two men. In verses 16 to 23, David mixes his personal trust in God with imprecatory prayers. Now, I've told you guys uh, in this series what an imprecatory prayer is. Does anybody remember when you're praying an imprecatory prayer, uh, what's the sum of what you're praying? It's okay if nobody remembers. It's a big word. Get them, God! <laughs> Get them! You're calling down an imprecation on them, kind of a curse. You're saying, Lord, they did me wrong, which, since I'm your king, they're really doing you wrong, God, so get them! <laughs> you know, they've laid their hands against God's anointed. Get them, God! <laughs> and so you've got a combination here of David showing his trust in the Lord, but also in this sense of trusting and, and, and concern for the situation, asking God to handle what he can't handle. So... Uh, so in these last verses, he goes back and forth between the two things. Verse 16, as for me, I'm not like Ahithophel. I'm going to call upon God and the Lord shall save me. The betrayer's not seeking God in this. He's acting unwisely. But David will continue to call upon the God who has, is, and will save him. And from there, we get the beautiful verse 17 that uh, I learned uh, long ago as a young believer. Evening and at morning and at noon. I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Now, before I ask you the question that's reflected in your um, uh, blank there, uh, let's take a moment and pause and say, uh, do you remember how 
kind of God views a 24-hour time period? It's kind of reflected in how David puts it there. Do you remember all the way back in Genesis 1? How did he regard a 24-hour day before the next day started? It says there was evening and there was morning and then there was the end of day one. Now, we don't do it that way, do we? We think day, evening, day over. But Genesis 1 says evening, morning, end of day. And so we may have it all messed up. It may be that right now, as it gets dark, is the first part of tomorrow. <laughs> so I don't want to mess with people's minds. I'm just saying it's kind of reflected in the psalm here. And also, how do Jews observe Passover? Friday sundown? to Saturday sundown, right? So the first part of Passover isn't Saturday morning, it's Friday night. And thus with their festivals. Interesting. So I'm trying to give an excuse for those of us who aren't really morning people. Uh, if you do your devotions at night, maybe you are starting the day with devotions. <laughs> okay, so there's good things about starting the day with God first thing in the morning, but the main thing is you spend time with God. And some people do that better at night. But David says, I do it all the time. He says, what does he say? He says, there's evening, uh, there's morning, noon. All these times, I'm going to cry out to God. I'm going to present my prayers and my requests to him. I'm going to spend time with him. So notice David expresses confidence that he can pray to God and be heard at any time of the night or day. And then he goes back to saying, okay, God, since I'm crying out to you, please do what I'm asking for you. I'm really enjoying watching you guys help each other fill in the blanks. You know, once sometimes you're telling him, sometimes he's telling you. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> All right. So then he goes back to verses 18 and 19. God, please take care of the betrayers. Uh, you've redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. That would fit the scenario I read, wouldn't it? Um, that uh, God has redeemed him in peace. For there were many against me. God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from of old. And then he does this Selah trick again, the Selah thing again. Uh, a pause for emphasis, but the thought continues because the thought's really not over to you. It says, because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God. There's a lot to think about there, isn't there? People that won't repent aren't going to fear God. They're going to make it about themselves rather than their need of God, their awe of God, their reverence of God, their fear of God. Uh, if they refuse to repent, there is no rest for the wicked, no rest for the weary wicked, and uh, they won't show fear of God in their lifetime, defiance of God's things. Verse 20, he's speaking about this advisor again, whoever he was. He has put forth his hand against those who were at peace with him. He has broken his covenant. If it was Ahithophel, he had broken his promise to serve God by serving the king. David was uh, God's anointed king. Nathan had clearly pronounced forgiveness to David. So even though Ahithophel had that personal grudge because of granddaughter Bathsheba and the scandal it was for the family and uh, those different things, and he may really have had a high regard for Uriah, all those different things, Nathan had clearly, the prophet had clearly pronounced that David was forgiven. And at this point uh, in the Ahithophel rebellion, uh, God had already told David the Davidic covenant that his son would reign on the throne. Uh, and that didn't mean Absalom, you know, at least not the way Absalom was going to bring it to pass. So um, 
If it was Saul, Saul had broken his word to David on multiple occasions, and so had his son Absalom. Uh, verse 21, the words of this betrayer's mouth were smoother than butter. War was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were like drawn swords. I, I hope you've never had to uh, live with someone uh, or... Um, you know, experience that with somebody that was close to you in any context. You know, they were buttering you up. Maybe that's where the phrase came from. They were buttering you up for uh, the fall to come. And uh, that verse could certainly apply to Ahithophel, Saul, and Absalom as well. But verse 22, cast your burden on Yahweh and he will sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Verse 22 reminds us of many great verses in the New Testament. Can you think of any? You don't have to give the reference if you can get the quote or part of it. He says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Anybody? Ah, Pastor Danny makes us work hard. <laughs> uh, I can't, re can't remember where it's found. That's okay. Uh, the Bible verse about the yoke. Yeah, Jesus said something like that, didn't he? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is not as burdensome as you think. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. That's good. That's good. That's Matthew eleven twenty eight is one of the places a thought like that appears in the words of Jesus. Very good. We're going to have to give Chris our star for the day. And then um, Peter uh, said in First Peter, cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. And when I read that from uh, Peter in First Peter 5, 7, it reminds me about Peter as a fisherman. What would he do with his net? He would cast it out there. And uh, he was hoping to bring in some fish. And you know... Uh, he would also, as a fisherman, cast out the fish that were not going to be keepers, right? And mentally, he's saying, do that with your burdens, you know. This is not something that's going to help me here. I'm going to cast it on the Lord and let him take care of what he takes care of. If he lays on me some action I need to take, I'll do it. But uh, pretty good. Well, David is saying, I believe you'll get me through this, Lord, but I know what you are going to do to the evildoer. One more time in verse 23, he says, But you, O God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. And David knew that a man could die at any moment, that the righteous die sometimes young and the wicked sometimes live to a ripe old age. Many of the Psalms and the words of the Proverbs are about that and that sort of thing. But he expresses his confidence that since, as far as he knows, he's supposed to continue to be the ruler of, of Israel, that God's going to work this out and take care of this rebellion and any rebellion. And so we got to have that confidence in God. Uh, the way I like to say it is, the Bible makes very clear for any act of wickedness that's out there in the world, some of them affect us directly. Don't, don't picture God in heaven biting his fingernails. He's in complete control. Don't bite your fingernails yourself and worry, you know, uh, because God will always have the last word. He's always going to have the last word. Anything, even if, you, even if somebody appears to get away with something till the day they die, understand that if they didn't know Jesus, the worst is yet to come for them. And I think about the rich man and Lazarus parable. Man, that rich man didn't do anything to help poor old Lazarus at the foot. The moment they both died, they died the same day, and the great reversal happened. Lazarus forever comforted, the rich man forever judged, forever judged, and forever tormented while Lazarus was forever comforted. Well, let's pray. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. 
To learn more about The Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.